Welcome once again to Searching the Scriptures radio broadcast. We do appreciate you tuning in again with us this week as we look into the Bible each and every week here on the Searching the Scriptures radio broadcast. We're glad you're tuned in with us. And as always, we want to encourage the listening audience to get your Bible open. Follow along that you might see what the Bible actually says. As one great old preacher that I've learned so much from used to say on his broadcast, we are interested in what the Bible actually says and not merely what it is presumed to teach. There is a great deal of difference of knowing what this book says in its context and just quoting bits and pieces that you've heard people regurgitate through the years. There is nothing that will clear up a religious argument or a Bible argument any quicker than an open Bible. I've watched people stand and argue what the Bible says without ever opening or referring to the Scriptures. Well, I know that it says this, and my grandma told me she was the best woman that ever lived. Well, that may be so. I have no idea. But what I'd like is chapter and verse, my friend. Amen. That's what we need to build our theology and our lives upon. The old hymn says, standing on the promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages let his praises ring. Glory in the highest, I will shout and sing, standing on the promises of God. I do not want to stand anywhere else. All other ground is sinking sand, and the word of God is sure footing. So we thank God for a Bible and hope you will take the time and the energy to look these verses up. This week I would ask you to turn to Romans chapter 8. In the great, glorious, rich, powerful, blessed book of Romans, let's go there and examine just for a few moments a great portion of Scripture today through the inspired pen of the Apostle Paul. Romans chapter 8, we'll begin reading in verse 1. The Scripture says this, There is therefore now no condemnation, glory to God, to who? To them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. And so we have here three things that I would like to draw your attention to from these great verses here in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. I would like you to see, first of all, the limitations of the law of God. Notice the wording of verse 3, for what the law could not do. Now, when Paul says the law, what's he talking about? Is he talking about the book of Leviticus that has all of the dietary laws and all of the uh, the temple laws and all of that, that's part of the law of God in the Old Testament. Sometimes when you refer to the law in the book of Psalms, he's just talking about all the written words of God, all of the, uh, all of the Bible, the law of God. But in this case, Paul has just been talking in context about a specific thing in the law. Notice back in chapter 7, verse 7, what Paul had said. In Romans 7, verse 7, Paul says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. Ah, now I know what Paul's referring to. He's not just talking, he's not talking about the dietary laws or about uh, the, the laws of the temple and the sacrifices to bring under the Old Testament law. He is specifically speaking about the Ten Commandments. 
The Ten Commandments are known as the law of God. They were given to Moses on two tables of stone, and they have survived all of these thousands of years and still help nations make their own laws. Many of our laws in America are based off the righteousness and the justice of the laws found in the Word of God. And listen, the Ten Commandments have never been improved upon. The Ten Commandments are, is the law of God. Now, the problem is this. There are some things that the law cannot do. That would be the law has its limitations. That's what our verse says, Romans 8, 3, what the law could not do. But now listen, the law has certain functions, and those functions are still good for us even in this dispensation of grace, this dispensation of the church, this age in which we live. There are those who would say that the law has no place today. But that is not true. Because the Apostle Paul, from his inspired pen, we read that the law is good if, if a man use it lawfully. That means men can use it unlawfully. But if it's used properly, it's good if a man use it lawfully. Well, how do you use it lawfully? Listen, the law still has a place today. Now, what is the place? It reveals God's demands for righteousness, and it also reveals to us our own sin and guilt. Paul said, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. Listen, the law reveals to us our guilt before God. And listen, my friend, you know one of the reasons more people are not being saved in the day and age we live, and you don't hear more about revivals, and you don't hear more about people coming to Jesus Christ? is because most people have no idea the great danger that they are in uh, as lost men and women condemned in their sins and trespasses. Listen, the natural man does not understand the gravity of his sin. Now, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6, this, Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find in other words, it does not, it is not hard to round up people who will declare their own goodness. I've done it, uh, going around trying to witness the gospel. It is very difficult to get people interested in what Jesus Christ did on the cross because they do not realize what grave danger they are in if they are unsaved. My friend, that Bible says it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. And my friend, God does not grade on a curve. He is not a big Hershey kiss in the sky that's going to pat you on the head and say, well, you were sincere. And after all, uh, that's all I was looking for is that you followed your heart. No, my friend, God has a standard of righteousness and you're going to be measured. You're going to be judged by that standard of righteousness, which is found in the law. And the law does a great work in this age. What does it do? It reveals to men their guilt and their sin. I mean, that's why it's such a tragedy that the Ten Commandments have been removed from our courthouses. The perfect standard of righteousness and justice. And you want to remove that standard from the courthouse with this goofy idea of separation of church and state? Listen, the Ten Commandments do not represent anyone in particular as far as a church. It represents simply the standard of a righteous and a holy God. Amen and amen. And therefore, I'm ashamed of a country, my country, that would remove the Ten Commandments not only from the courthouse but from the schoolhouse. I mean, after all, we wouldn't want to have a kleptomaniac be all guilty when he saw the Eighth Commandment that says, Thou shalt not steal. 
We wouldn't want, you know, porn addicts to get under conviction when they read, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Amen. Because that is one of those things where it reveals our lust when you read that, and it makes people feel uncomfortable. We wouldn't want to give liars uh, a self-esteem complex when they read the ninth commandment in the second table of Moses' law that says, Thou shalt not bear false witness. And after all, if you run over there to Revelation 21.8, it says that all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. Listen, the law reveals our guilt and it will school us to flee from the wrath to come and to head and to make a straight beeline for Calvary's bloody tree. So the law has a purpose and it has the power to reveal to us our guilt, but yet it has limitations and it says in verse 3 this, what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. Now listen, the law itself is not weak. The law is said back there in Romans chapter 7 verse 12, the law is holy, the commandment holy and just and good. But how is it weak? It is only weak when it comes through the flesh of human beings because here is what it could not do. It could not justify anyone, and it cannot save you, and it cannot justify you, and it cannot give you the power to keep its demands. Did you get that? That is the limitation of the law, and that's why every works-based religion is fighting a losing battle, because no matter what kind of religion you look into that is a works-based religion, Religion. They will take the law of God and try to get you to keep it in some form in order to earn favor with God. But listen, the law was not given for that function. The law was given to show you God's standard of righteousness, and it was given to reveal to you your sinfulness and guilt. And listen, that is a very valuable thing. You need to understand your guilt. If you ever get a hold of how guilty you really are before a holy God, it won't take much prodding to get you to flee to Jesus Christ as Savior. The law of God is good and just and holy, but it has limitations. Verse 3 says what the law could not do. Well, it cannot save you, and it cannot empower you to live a better life. It can only stand up and condemn you and say, you're guilty here, here, and here. Listen, the law does not just look at your actions. The law also looks at your attitude of the heart. That is why Jesus Christ in his great classic Sermon on the Mount raised the standard, if you will, when he said, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. That's the seventh commandment in the law. He says, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So he says that the law not only examines your actions, you may be clean of an action. You may not have broken the law. You may not have stepped out on your wife, and we thank you that you haven't. But listen, God says it goes deeper than that. My law examines the attitude of the heart, what's going on in that mind of yours, in that imagination of yours. Why, the Bible says over there that if a man hates his brother, he is a murderer. You've broken the sixth commandment just by having hatred for a brother in your heart. You see, the, the law reveals your sin, but it is absolutely limited to that. It cannot empower you to live a new life, and it cannot give you life. The Bible says in Galatians 2.21, If righteousness come by the law, 
Are you listening? Galatians 2.21, if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. In other words, the cross of Jesus Christ would serve no purpose if you could save yourself and make yourself clean in the sight of God by keeping the law. No, my friend, you may love the law, you may think it's right, you may agree with the law, you may try to keep the law, but my friend, you have fallen short somewhere. And because if you fall short in one area, James 2.10 says, if a man keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. And listen, I have talked to people and trying to witness to them right here in Boyle County, Kentucky. I remember one time walking up a driveway toward a young man who was out washing his car one summer. We began to talk, and pretty soon the conversation shifted to spiritual things. And I asked him if I could show him a few things and ask him some questions from the Bible, and he agreed to it. He put his sponge in the bucket and stood there and let me open a New Testament. And we went to Romans 3.23, where it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I said, is that you? I said, you believe you've sinned and fallen short of God's glory? Oh, yeah, there's no doubt. He said, nobody's perfect. Well, he still has not realized the magnitude of what he just said. So I said, so do you think you're bad enough that if you died right now, you're going straight to hell? He said, oh, no, no, I, I wouldn't say that. You see, that's the problem with Americans. They know they're not perfect, but they assume, well, I'm not bad enough to go to hell. But they're afraid to say they're good enough to go to heaven. So where does that leave you? It leaves you out in no man's land. The truth of the matter is, most men compare themselves to the wrong standard. They always compare themselves among themselves. Well, I don't get drunk and I don't step out on my wife, therefore I'm a good man. No, you're comparing yourself to the wrong standard. Lay yourself down next to God's standard of righteousness, which is found in the law of God. And you will quickly find that you have done just exactly what that verse said. You have fallen short. And in the day of judgment, if you received justice according to the law, you will be condemned and you will hear Jesus Christ say, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And you will amen your own damnation because you are guilty. You know it in your heart even now. The law of God says guilty. It does not have the power. It has limitations. It does not have the power to save you. Keeping the law will not save you because you have to keep it perfectly. Hey, for those of you listening who still believe you can save yourself by your own good works and efforts, let me ask you something. You know what God demands according to the law? He only demands one thing, perfection. Can you produce it? He demands perfection, sinlessness, purity, both outwardly and inwardly. Is there anyone in my listening audience that would be fool enough to stand up and say, that's me, I'm without sin, I have no outward sin, I have no inward corruption? Listen, the most religious men of Jesus' day were convicted by their own conscience because of something he wrote simply in the sand and said, let him that is without sin among you cast the first stone. And the Bible says they being convicted by their consciences went out one by one beginning at the eldest. I'm going to tell you something. When you get alone with your conscience for five minutes and you truly begin to examine yourself against the law of God, friend, you will begin to look for rescue. You will begin to look for how can I take care of this problem I am hopelessly, helplessly lost before God. 
You have broken the commandments way more than you even imagine. And on the day of judgment, if you get justice, friend, you'll be cast into a lake of fire. The Bible says, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You say, could you give me some good news? I certainly can. Look back in our text of Romans 8, verse 3. For what the law could not do, there's your limitations of the law, in that it was weak through the flesh. Watch it. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Now we see not the limitations of the law. That's the first part of the verse. The second half of the verse shows us the love of the Lord. And listen, you must never, never allow any Bible teacher or preacher or good meaning person even to deceive you on this matter about the love of God. God is love, but my friend, you better be sure you understand where that love was put on display. As the law has stood to condemn every one of us, can I point you yonder to Calvary's hill at a bloody tree and remind you this, that you will never know the love of God until you find it and on display at Calvary where Jesus Christ went and died for me and you. You cannot separate the love of God from Calvary's cross. Mark that down. You see, most people today and even some liberal churches preach that God is love, God is love, God is love. And that's true, but they fail to, to show you where he loved us at. Now let me give it to you straight from Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says, God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Where did he die, friend? He died on an old rugged cross on the tree outside the city walls of Jerusalem. Listen, God displayed his love that day and God sending uh, his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. That is the love of God. He looked down and said, these people have no hope. I love these sinners. I want to redeem these sinners. And to do that, I will have to come down there myself and manifest myself in a human body. And my friend, that's exactly what God did. He's in due time. He sent his own son. Amen. Made under the law. And listen, he sent him and took up uh, human flesh. The Bible says that the Jesus Christ was made of the seed of David. He was born of the virgin Mary. And he lived a perfect and pure life for 33 years and then willingly laid himself down. His work was not finished until he finished the work the Father sent him to do when he died on the cross. Listen, uh, the cross is where Jesus Christ made peace through the blood of his cross. He died as our substitute. The scripture says he was wounded for our transgressions. Transgressions of what? Transgressions of the law. If a man breaks the law, even in one point, he is guilty. And if you're guilty, you cannot know God, you cannot fellowship with God, and you cannot go to heaven when you die. So God saw our hopeless condition, and he moved into action, and he sent his only begotten son down. That's the love of God. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What did he give him for? He gave him as a sacrifice for our sins. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree. And that's exactly what the close of verse 3 tells us. When God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, what did he do that for? To condemn sin in the flesh. Whose flesh? In Jesus Christ's flesh. You understand when Christ Jesus, the son of God, gave himself on the cross, 
that God poured on him uh, the wrath that we so justly deserve. He poured it on the back of his son who was bearing our sins in his own body on the tree. The Bible says that God the Father made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Friend, listen, you cannot separate the love of God from a bloody tree. If you want to see the love of God, you must see yourself through the lens of the law. When you see yourself guilty and vile before a holy God having broken his commandments, you're going to look over and the law is going to be a schoolmaster and say, you better flee to Jesus Christ quickly. Why? Because Jesus Christ kept the law as he lived in his body here on earth. Jesus Christ kept the demands of the law in perfect obedience and then he met the demands of the law in death and tasted death for every man while he died as our substitute on the cross. God hath made him to be sin for us. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree and he became a curse for us. Why? So that we could be delivered from the curse. That is the love of God. I have probably told this illustration uh, previous broadcast, but I remember a lady walking past our street ministry one time. It's been recently, and one of our men had the scripture sign on that said, Christ died for our sins. And as she walked by, she wasn't interested in reasoning with us, but she commented as she went by, she goes, don't you guys think that your sign would get a lot more accomplished if it simply said, God loves you? Now, you know what's sad about that statement? I know that woman was a lost woman. She said, how do you know? Because when she read the words, Christ died for our sins, she did not equate that with the love of God. See, she thinks, she likes that, that phrase, God loves you, because every pervert, every drunk, every dopehead, every liar, every thief loves that because they think that means that, well, if God loves me, he won't ever send me to hell. My friend, Preachers who do not preach the love of God connected to Calvary's cross do their audience a great, great disservice. Listen to me. Whoever's listening in today, pay close attention. God loved you, and he loves sinners. But my friend, you better understand where he loved us at. God committed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The love of God is found on Calvary's cross, where he became sin for us and condemned sin in his own flesh so that we might go free. Blessed be his wonderful name. My sins are washed away and have been put away by the sacrifice of my Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. God has pronounced me righteous and has justified me. God's wrath was fully absorbed in the flesh and blood body of Jesus Christ when he was made to be sin for me. He tasted my death and he finished the work of redemption and his blood has made peace. And I have simply believed upon him and been accepted in the beloved, made righteous because of the free gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. Blessed be the wonderful name of Jesus Christ who was condemned in my place. And my friend, if you do not know him, I would encourage you to bow the knee to him right now and trust him. You say, I'm going to keep trying to work my way there. It's a futile attempt. 
The law cannot save you. Remember what our text said? For what the law could not do. What can it do, preacher? It cannot justify you and it cannot empower you to live the Christian life. It only shows you and reveals to you your guilt and your certain damnation if you die under uh, the wrath of God and die in your sins. You say, well, how can I be saved? Well, God has done the work by sending his only son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And this man, after having offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He suffered and died. He rose from the dead. And he's kicked the doors of mercy wide open. And he says, do you see yourself as a guilty, vile sinner? Then come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. So we see the love of the Lord, the fact that he sent his only begotten son into this world to die for us. But we also see a third thing. Notice what it says. Because Christ has died for us, and there is, quote, now no condemnation in him, the Bible says, this was done that the righteousness of the law, verse 4, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Now we see not just the limitations of the law or the love of the Lord, but we see now the life that we can live. You see, now that we have confessed our guilt before God, if you're a Christian, that means this. You have confessed your guiltiness, you've admitted to your sin, and you've turned to God and put your faith in Jesus Christ who died for you. And the moment you did that, you were justified. The Bible says, To him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Paul preached one time, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. And now that God has justified us, listen, he, is not ju- he has not justified us. He has not saved us so that we can continue to walk uh, in sin and to waller in the vileness of this present evil world. No, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts when we believed, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And listen, that spirit lives in us to empower us to live a new life. God did not save us just to save us from hell. God saved us that we might not be slaves to our sin any longer. Paul had asked the great question where he had just said, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Why he, the Holy Ghost anticipates the argument to that. While if grace abounds more than our sin, no matter how much our sin abound, grace abounds more. Well, the carnal man, the lost man says, well, I guess I could just go out and live any way I wanted. If, if that's true, preacher, if you're just justified by faith in Christ and the grace abounds and it doesn't matter how you live. Well, listen, friend, when you see a, the Savior bleeding and suffering and dying, we love him because he first loved us. And Romans 6, 1 answers that question when it says, shall we continue in sin? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Hey, the Spirit made us dead to sin and lives in our hearts, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, and He empowers us to walk in His will and in His way now that the Spirit of God dwells in this clean vessel that was washed by the blood of Christ. And listen, you say, how do I walk in the Spirit? Well, number one, you need to acknowledge that He's there. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple 
of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own. You're bought with a price. You need to acknowledge him. Number two, you need to agree with him. Can two walk together except they be agreed? You must agree with what the Spirit of God shows you. Say, how will I know what the Spirit of God is trying to show me? Well, you won't unless you study the book that he authored. Get in your Bible. Learn the Bible. Uh, be a student of the Bible. Agree with him quickly. And then number three, you've got to answer him. You've got to say, yes, yes, I will do that. You must yield your will to his will. And you will find that by doing that, you will begin to walk uprightly and walk pleasingly in the sight of the Lord. Why? How? Because the law was... Uh, the demands of the law was met through Jesus Christ, our Savior. It no longer has any uh, power over us to condemn us. There's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. But the Spirit of God now lives in us, and now we can live that new life. I'll close by this. A lady many years ago left our church, and she told one of the members, I cannot live the life that Brother Alltop preaches. Well, I wish she'd have come to see me because I would have greeted with her quickly and said, No, you cannot. And God never asked you to live that life. But when Christ comes to live in your heart, Christ will live that life out through you and you will become a trophy of God's grace and a shining light to this dark generation. Oh, may you understand these things, the law's limitations, the love of the Lord in Christ Jesus. And once you come to trust him as your savior, to find out about the new life that you can live by the power of the spirit of God. That's all the time we have today. Thank you for tuning in. May the Lord bless you as you seek his face.